record Fall out off the record Hang out We'll start so nuka Take a sit down while we're talking to ya Fall out off the record Fall out off the record Freak out We'll talk some lore We'll shoot at stuff while we explore Fall everyone and welcome to fallout off the record i am your host rick mcvick and with us tonight as always is shalene and tonight we have a great episode for you special guest josh josh sawyer from obsidian already starting off on a great note with pronouncing names <laughs> wrong but before we get into that i want to get through our sponsors tonight we are sponsored by tweakedaudio.com if you head to uh, their uh, their website and you're into you want to get some headphones or earbuds or that, or that sort of thing Enter our code off the record to receive 30% off at checkout and sh- free shipping worldwide. So head to tutorial.com to get free shipping when you enter our code off the record. Tonight we're also sponsored by audible.com. You head to audibletrial.com slash questgamingnetwork and sign up for their free 30-day trial. You'll get a free audiobook of your choosing. And tonight Shillian recommends... The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, which is sort of a book about survival signals and listening to your instincts to uh, to keep yourself safe in today's dangerous world. Awesome. So, yeah, head to audibletrial.com slash questgamingnetwork and uh, sign up for the free trial for the free audiobook there. Also, you can, go, you can become a patron of our show by heading to patreon.com slash questgamingnetwork signing up for one of our rewards there you can also go to our website which is uh, questgamingnetwork.com clicking on our amazon link after you clear your cookies and do your shopping that way because that slices off a bit of the price there and sends it our way no cost to you and also more importantly non-financially share us on your social media send us emails like subscribe retweet and tell your friends about us tonight we have our interview you know our talk with josh sawyer right up front and then we go into our news gameplay challenge recap and uh i think all of our emails are just uh listener questions for josh so uh without further ado yeah josh is here with us already thank you so so much for coming out tonight and hanging out with us for a while glad to be here thanks for having me no problem um so for those of you don't know i'm sure everyone does but just tell our listeners what exactly you did and what you did do in the world of fallout well um i mean i was first involved with fallout back at black isle studios uh i was a designer there on icewind dale and icewind dale 2 and toward the end of black isle's existence i was a designer on what was then called van buren which was black isle's attempt to make fallout 3 and after chris avalon left to go form obsidian with the other obsidian owners um i took over as the lead designer uh, for a few more months, but then it was very obvious that Black Isle was going to, or rather that Interplay, our parent company, was not going to be around that much longer. So I left the studio, and at that point, I didn't think I would ever have a chance to work on Fallout again. Uh, when I went to work at Obsidian in 2005, I worked on Neverwinter Nights 2, and then several years later, um, just I never thought this would happen, but we had the opportunity to work on another Fallout game. And we worked on a game for Bethesda that was what became Fallout New Vegas. And I was the uh, project director and lead designer on Fallout New Vegas. Um, I did all the system design on the project. And I wrote a few of the characters like uh, Arcade Ganon and Chief Hanlon. And uh, yeah, and then I did three of the four uh, DLCs. I'm sorry, that's I'm wrong. Chris Avalon did three of the four DLCs. I did Honest Hearts, which was one of the four DLCs, and then I worked on Gunrunner's Arsenal. 
Awesome. Now, taking a step back, uh, how did you get into Fallout? Was this like a fan thing first, or did you get introduced to Fallout through Black Isle? No, it was a fan thing first. I When I was in college, uh, I, I can't remember who introduced me to Fallout 1, but uh, as soon as I got it, I played it all day and all night until I beat it. And then I went online and I saw someone said that uh, there was an evil ending. And so I reloaded my save game before going to the overseer and I went back and killed every civilian I could until I had negative karma. And then I, <laughs> and then I went back and saw what the evil ending was. So I was a big fan uh, when I was um, uh, when I was just a college student and I played Fallout 2 in college as well. So I had wanted to work I mean, I never thought that I would, but when I went to work at Black Isle, I realized, well, this is the studio that makes Fallout. So um, I hoped that one day I would be able to work on Fallout 3, and uh, it didn't quite work out, but eventually I got to work on New Vegas. Now, when you were playing Fallout and Fallout 2, what kind of character did you make? Um, obviously, you kind of defaulted to a good... I don't think it was Karma. I, I honestly haven't played very much of Fallout 1 and 2. I end up dying very quickly. Um, <laughs> so... Like, what kind of characters did you do? Like, what kind of weapons did you tend to focus on? Um, I generally like making sneak thief type characters. So I had a character that was uh, sneaky and used. Um, I used small guns until small guns did not become viable. And then I used energy weapons for the rest of the game. Uh, and I think, I can't remember what all my tag skills were, but at least on my first playthrough, it was sneaking, um, small guns, and then maybe uh, some speech in there. And then, you know, I replayed it a bunch of times after that, and then I just made any sort of whatever goofy character I could come up with uh, just to see if I could get through the game that it's way. It's always fun to make a stupid character. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorite things. Yes, in, in Fallout, yeah, in Fallout, it's fun to make an actual stupid character or a um, just a goofy character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shalene has played more of the ISOs than, than I have because she actually makes it out of the caves. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Fallout 2 lately, really digging it. I, uh, Fallout 3 was my first Fallout, so they're new to me, you know, Fallout 1 and 2. So. Really have you seen, Fallout. man, I can't, I think it's called, I'm going to get the name wrong and I apologize to the people that worked on it. I think it's called Fallout Resurrection. It's right, like a, the mod. yeah, it's a super extensive mod that um, I want to say people in Czech Republic, again, I apologize if I'm wrong on that, but it looks pretty extensive. I haven't played it yet, but looks cool. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. We covered that on the news uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's uh, like a whole, a whole nother game, basically. Yeah, looks pretty, Very looks pretty huge. I, I actually, I'm going to have to look that up again. I'm not, I'm not remembering what that was at all. <laughs> so, um, what is it exactly? Since you brought uh, it up, it's set in New Mexico. It's just a, a new Fallout story. Um, uh, is it ISO? A, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a Fallout Two mod. Oh, okay. Um, kind of going back to one of the things I wanted to talk about was the new. You focused most of your games on the West, because uh, that's what Fallout 1 and 2 were. Van Buren, I think, was also located in the West, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Cause, uh, and then New Vegas was. But why New Vegas? I mean, why Vegas, I should say? Um, I actually couldn't tell you what the original inspiration for that was. Chris Avalon, I think, had the original idea for doing something set around Las Vegas. Uh, I think that our general inclination as people who live in California, um, I mean, most... Yeah, I think 
other than Chris Avalone, I think all of the owners of Obsidian were are from California. Um, and, you know, we've lived in California for such a, a long time, so we feel more comfortable with stuff on the West Coast. And uh, a lot of us are pretty familiar with Las Vegas, and the desert is a pretty cool environment, um, just physically and, you know, the way it looks and, and feels. And I think, um, you know, I think Avalone, Avalone came up with the original idea of you get shot in the head and left for dead in a shallow grave. That was like the start of the game. And um, that seemed like a very Vegas type of of beginning to a storyline and that was the basic premise and then we went from there i uh i don't know if that's necessarily uh good advertising for vegas i've never been to, to vegas <laughs> but so was vegas just always the choice yeah from the very beginning it was just that was the the kind of focus it seemed uh it seemed close enough to what we kind of considered the core region of fallout where the first two games took place that it um, we could still continue using some of the factions and characters that had been in those games, uh, but it was far enough away that we could have some new new environments and new factions that hadn't been seen before. And it it totally fits the universe. I mean, Fallout is this weird, dark yet cozy and inviting, silly space like the 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 world of Fallout. And Vegas kind of has that already going on for it, I guess. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Las Vegas is. Um, it's a it's a very adult oriented city, but at the same time, it has all these kind of like colorful, fun things in it. Um, and in some ways, Las Vegas over the years has become much more family friendly, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, it's certainly an entertaining place with lots of cool stuff that we can use as uh, inspiration for the game. Now, um, most of us know that this was done in like 18 months. You had literally no time to work on this and you had a desert to work with and a big popular city to work with. What was the vibe around the office? Like what was, was it 24 seven work days or how'd you guys pull that off? No, I mean, we worked, you know, we worked pretty hard. Uh, there were only a few weekends that we actually had to come into work because it was just, you know, the, the deadlines were really tight. Um, generally speaking for almost the entire project, we did not work weekends. Uh, usually we didn't work a ton of overtime during the week. Uh, because we knew, I mean, enough of us had been in the industry long enough to know that people get burned out really quickly. If you start, if you make that, if you make, you know, going crazy and working overtime, the baseline, then eventually people get burned out really quickly yeah. because no matter what you eventually ramp up from that and it just gets really bad and the quality of people's work suffers. So, you know, we, I would say that for a long time, we were working somewhere between 40 and 50 hours a week, which is not, you know, too crazy. Um, we did have a few weekends where people had to come in to, to just handle some, some crazy stuff. And, um, then toward the end, I think we were working closer to 60 hour weeks, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, which isn't completely out of, you know, the ordinary for development overall. Obviously we like to keep things as close to 40 as we can, but, um, it was a really tight schedule. And, um, I don't think we ever had a point where we all thought, you know, this is crazy. We can't do it. Uh, we mostly just tried to focus on, um, building the world in a very ordered fashion so that if we needed to cut content, we could. And I think enough people know by now that uh, one of the things that we wound up cutting was a lot of the Legion content that we had planned um, because we, as we progressed in development, we, we just, you know, we realized we couldn't build as just as much as we wanted to. So that was something that we cut, which is unfortunate. But um, overall, you know, we got way more done than I think 
any of us really expected that we would get done. So it turned out pretty well. Yeah, I I can't believe that, actually. I, I thought it was going to be like, we worked like 90-hour work weeks, and there was blood everywhere. And, There's and, so uh, many horror stories coming out of game development. Yeah, game development can be really rough, but I think because, I mean, when I... Um, it's interesting. Uh, when I started working at Black Isle, uh, I don't remember us really having forced overtime, but the culture was one where people just tended to come in and work a lot. And I came to Black Isle straight out of college. And when I started working on Icewind Dale, uh, there was a point in time where I realized that I had come to work for 321 days in a row. And like weekends, holidays, I just never... I didn't have any social life. I didn't do anything. Um, and I think maybe that was okay for me when I was in my early 20s, but eventually that got really, really uh, exhausting and tiring. So I think we the industry is mature enough now that there aren't a lot of excuses for working people that hard. Um, so we try to just plan smart, and we know that people will – you know, people will put in effort to do things that they're passionate about, but we also try to help people be responsible. So there are times when people are working so hard that we will actually tell them to go home. And that happened with a few <laughs> people on that happened with a few people on New Vegas. I mean, everyone, everyone on the project that I can recall was very passionate about what we were doing and they all wanted it to be really amazing. Um, but there there are some people, especially younger folks who just they work so hard, they never take a break, and eventually their work starts to suffer for it. So there were a few times where we had to say, like, please go home now. Don't like don't come back until this time tomorrow. So <laughs> that's really awesome. Ethically, that's really, really awesome. You mentioned um you cut Legion content. Uh, what what was that? I've n I haven't heard that. So the Legion, um the Legion was supposed to have some uh, territories on the east side of the Colorado River that were a little less uh, <laughs> bleak and brutal, um, kind of showing more like what the lives of civilians were like under the Legion, um, which was supposed to be a relatively positive thing. Like I think both Raul and Cass and maybe a few other people say that the Legion is extremely brutal and terrible, but you know if you sort of follow their rules that living in Legion territory as a, as a citizen, not as a member of, of the Legion itself, right. um, is actually pretty peaceful and orderly, um, just because the Legion is so terrifying. <laughs> and, um, so we did want to show some aspects of that, but it just, we, we didn't have time to do it. Yeah. Um, I've heard rumors that there was originally going to be a Legion sympathetic, uh, companion. Yeah. Um, so, Early on in development, I spec'd out all the companions. Um, I didn't write all the companions, but I designed all the companions. And um, Chris Avalone read through the companion list, and he had a really good piece of feedback, which is, hey, there's no we have companions in here that are sympathetic to other factions, uh, but we don't have any Legion-sympathetic companion, which seems kind of like an oversight. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And so uh, Chris volunteered to uh, write uh, what eventually became Ulysses, but uh, there were some problems with being able to get Ulysses into the base game. Mm -hmm. And so that character wound up uh, becoming the antagonist of Lonesome Road, which was the fourth uh, New Vegas DLC. Cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of the companions, what was your what was the companion uh, that you favored more so? 
Um, well, I mean, the character that I wrote was Arcade, um, and Arcade Ganon was, uh, he's not exactly the same, but he was based on a character that I played in our tabletop game back at Black Isle. So, um, yeah, when, when Chris was designing a lot of the Fallout 3, uh, the Van Buren stuff, I should say, um, he also ran a tabletop campaign and we made a variety of characters. Uh, the two characters that I played were Arcade Ganon and, uh, Jean-Baptiste Cutting, who he wound up in the game as part of the, um, the Silver Rush, uh, the Van Graaff family. So, uh, yeah, I, I liked writing Arcade, um, but I also really liked what Eric Fenstermaker did with Boone. Um, uh, I think Cass wound up being very funny. Um, yeah, I mean, all the characters are really, really cool, but I think that, uh, you know, I gravitate towards Arcade and, uh, and Cass and Boone. Now, Shalene, did you hear about the, cause I watched an interview with you, Josh, um, in 2015, where you're talking about the cut cast content. Oh, right. Uh, Do you mean the, the did Vegas you hear about wedding? This, um, um, go ahead. I, I, you keep cutting out of my ears. What did you say? Do you mean the wedding? Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if any of our listeners know, and I know you've told the story, but could you just, could you tell the story again? Cause I love the idea of this so much. Yeah. So we, I mean, there were, there were a few like sort of wacky, wacky ideas that we never got around to implementing. And one of the ones that people on the team were most entertained by was the idea that if you got drunk with Cass um, at some point in the game, and you, if you had met the King, then we would have the sequence where you basically would black out and then it would kind of fade in and the King would be there and you were in a chapel and it was kind of unclear exactly what was going on. Cause you were very, very drunk. Um, and then the next day you would wake up and you'd be, you'd be married to Cass and the King would have performed the ceremony. So, but, uh, yeah, that was one of the things where we're like, I don't, you know, we got a really tight schedule. I don't know if we can actually pull all this stuff off. So it was cut. That's hilarious. I loved it. I loved the Kings. They were so much fun. Just this, cause I, I like Elvis, especially early Elvis, sure. not so much uh, Vegas Elvis, but the fact that they just found this guy that, that, yeah, I love, I love whoever came up with that concept. I don't know who that was, but that was brilliant. Um, so there was so much stuff that was new with new Vegas, like the modding system, the companion wheel and that sort of thing was the goal to kind of build on top of what fallout three was, I guess it's kind of two part. Um, was it kind of to build on top of what fallout three was or improve it? Or if you had the choice, would you have gone back to ISO for this? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's obviously Van Buren is the game that we kind of wanted to make, um, back in 2003, but you know, 2010 is a long time later. And, um, yeah, I mean, our, our goal was really to, to improve what Bethesda had done. I mean, if you ask me if I want to make an isometric fallout game, yeah, like <laughs> that'd be great. Um, that said, I had a lot of fun working on new Vegas and, you know, there was a lot of stuff there that, um, you know, we felt were incremental improvements on what was in fallout three and things that we thought were good, uh, you know, quality of life things like the companion wheel just makes managing those guys a lot easier. Um, you know, just stuff like that. It was mostly looking at what Bethesda did with Fallout 3 and saying, how can we just improve this in the time that we have, knowing that we weren't familiar with their code base at all. So we had to be a little bit careful about, you know, we couldn't go crazy with it because we, you know, otherwise that could get really dangerous really fast. So did you, did you play Fallout 3 a good bit or at all? Oh yeah, I played, I, I played 160 hours of it, I think. Cool. What, what were you, what were your thoughts? Like, what'd you do? Like, character and stuff oh um i made a sneak thief that 
snipe people. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Right? By the way, when I play an Elder Scrolls game, guess what kind of character I make? A snipe uh, that, that shoots archer. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, um, I, you know, really focused on the exploration, um, just to see how the world was built because that was not, uh, you know, that wasn't something that, that we had any experience with. We didn't have experience making an open world game like that. Um, just seeing how they how they handled sight lines in an open world, how they handled a density of content, how they use their assets to build and get a world of that size, which is, you know, it's those, it's strange because at times you look at the world and it seems very small, but when you get down to the details, so much work goes into making every single area. Um, you know, looking also at things like itemization. Um, one of the things that we tried to do in New Vegas was have the unique weapons because, you know, Fallout 3 had a bunch of unique weapons, but we tried to make sure that every unique weapon had a unique model um, so that it stood out from even the modded weapons and things like that. Um, I also looked a lot at how people modded Fallout 3. I mean, that's the reason why we had, you know, tried to have a more extensive uh, mod system for weapons just because that's so popular. And of course, the you know, Fallout 4 went, you know, crazy with <laughs> weapon modding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was mostly, you know, just, I really wanted to play it exhaustively to get a sense of really the exploration and how exploring an open world felt, um, in, in, in Bethesda's interpretation of a fallout game. Yeah. The, I'm an East coast guy, so I live right near DC. Well, two hours away. So fallout three location is where I feel attached to. Cause it's like, I go down to DC. I don't know if you've ever been, but you're like, I know that I've walked here before. And it, um, I've always said, I always wanted to take Fallout New Vegas' mechanics and shove them into Fallout 3 just because it's a location thing for me. And whereas, you know, Shaleen, you live, in, you live in the desert. You I live, live in, in rural New Mexico, so basically, like, my commute to work looks like Fallout New Vegas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when we first started this show, we talked a lot about Fallout 3 in New Vegas, and um, it always boiled down to that. I love, love the mechanics in New Vegas, um, they added so much to the game where I thought that I wanted more in, you know, three, like you just said with the modding system and stuff. And, um, you know, have you ever been to our area, like DC? Have you ever been to that? Um, I've been, I mean, I've been to Bethesda, uh, <laughs> but, um, I've actually, unfortunately never been to DC itself. Okay. So, and you said you've been to Vegas. Uh, what was it like, you know, experiencing DC all destroyed? and desolate? Um, I mean, like I said, because I'm not really an East Coast guy, um, you know, I didn't have quite the connection, I think, that people that are familiar with the East Coast had. But, um, you know, it was interesting looking at how scale is a very important thing in these games. And when you're doing something like building... Um, you know, something in Skyrim, I mean, that's a fictional setting. And so people don't have a basis of comparison for it. When you build something like a section of Las Vegas or a section of Washington, D.C., people have a sense of scale there. Um, and so you have to be very cognizant of um, how you use that space. Um, so seeing how Bethesda constructed like the mall and how they spaced things out and how they spaced out the different sections of the city and how they divided it up and how that related to the you know, the world outside of DC itself was, was very interesting. And did you take, so I guess you did probably take a lot of that and put it into new Vegas as far as scale and stuff, but kind of playing on fallout's dark, silly tone, new Vegas was definitely a lot darker than fallout three. 
that I noticed. It was that also kinda, much zanier, too. It was zanier, um, <laughs> especially with Wild Wasteland. Um, actually, and kind of going on this, like, did you guys really focus on making it that dark and zany? I mean, or was that just a byproduct, like an accidental kind of thing? Um, I think that the maybe the darkness came out of... Um, I mean, in general, I, I try to treat factions as, um, I study history a lot and that's what I, ha that's what my degree is in is history. And so when I look at how different groups sort of behave in, in certain uh, conflicts and things like that, it's pretty brutal. And so, you know, having various groups, uh, do really dastardly things, uh, you know, it seems very dark, but to me, it also seems very true to how a lot of groups have actually behaved in, in our own history. Um, and we are talking about uh, a post-apocalyptic world. And if you look at a lot of the reference material that inspired Fallout, like, you know, even the Road Warrior, you know, the Road Warrior is pretty nasty. Um, like a lot of the stuff that happens in there is pretty brutal. So having that dark element, I think, is fitting for a post-apocalyptic setting like this. And um, But also if there's too much of that, it can get... Uh, it can get you down. And if you're playing a game for a hundred hours, uh, if it's just completely bleak, that's hard for a lot of people. So having some humor, um, is always good. And so we have just our sort of general, you know, we wanted to have funny care. I think one of the first characters we wrote that hit the right vibe for the kind of normal goofy stuff we wanted was fantastic. Um, <laughs> and Eric Fenstermaker, right. Is a, he's a really funny guy and he writes really funny characters. And so, uh, Eric Fenstermaker wrote Fantastic, and we kind of went I back and forth. I love Mr. Fantastic. Oh. Yeah, what his what his personality should be like, and um, and we established that yeah, this is sort of you know we should we should have characters that are like this. Um, and then for anything that seemed really fourth wall breaking, we said that has to be, um, that really has to be wild wasteland content. If it feels like it's breaking the fourth wall, then it has to go in the special category of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were a lot of those that I loved a lot that I didn't get. My absolute favorite was the Holy Hand Grenades, although I don't think that was a wild wasteland, but still. Uh, I think it actually was. I think was if it? you don't, yeah, if you if you don't have wild wasteland, I think you get mini nukes there instead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shalene's described. She knows all the. <laughs> I'm more of the I go blow things up type. Uh, um, I wanted ahead. to ask you to talk about the Jay Sawyer mod. Um, I learned about that pretty recently and uh, played several hours in it. Um, and it really does change the balance of the game. It really does seem to make it a much more challenging experience. And I wondered if you would talk about that. Sure. Um, you know, it's Fallout 1 and 2 had some pretty punishing stuff in it. Um, there wasn't any level scaling or anything like that. Uh, if you head straight west out of Vault 13, you will probably run into an encounter of super mutants and floaters and you will die. Um, so it's a little more brutal overall. And we implemented some, you know, survival type things, the hardcore mode in Fallout New Vegas, but we made them pretty gentle. Um, you know, we knew that there was a large section of the audience that was not going to be looking for a really huge challenge. And so we erred on the side of making it not too challenging. Um, but then, you know, after we shipped, I thought, uh, it'd be kind of, you know, I know how the tools work. I mean, I worked in them to make the game, um, and do all the settings for all the, all the weapons and hit points and scaling and everything. 
So I went in and just started tinkering around to see what sort of results I could get. I also, you know, when I saw people making mods, I think that, you know, there was a, a big emphasis on things like uh, super realistic, you know, you get shot once and you're pre- half dead. If you get shot twice, you're completely dead, which, you know, I, I don't, I don't hold it against anyone for playing mods like that, but they do make certain play styles kind of, um, if not worthless, very difficult. Like melee becomes almost impossible and stuff like that. So I wanted to, I wanted to see if I could make something that was more challenging, but didn't devolve just into the first person to shoot the other person, you know, wins the fight sort of. Um, and then I got around to thinking like, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here that is not quite balanced the way that I think it should be. And, um, or items that I felt, you know, that we wanted to put in, but we had to cut or, you know, just balance changes and things like that. So then I started doing more tuning and then I started fixing bugs as I was finding them. And then I just kept going. And, uh, yeah. And eventually it just got to the point where I'm like, Oh, this kind of just feels like a little mod on its own. And, um, yeah, I didn't really want to release it as like, I don't think of it as a director's cut. It's just kind of like how I enjoy playing the game. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I just called it Jay Sawyer. Um, Whenever we work locally, our uh, ESP files are our first initial and our last name. So at work, my local file is just jsawyer.esp, so that's what I call the mod. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really think that that many people would be interested in it, but I'm glad that a lot of people do seem to enjoy it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a new way to play the game, and I really enjoyed it. The biggest challenge for me was the uh, much lower carry weight, because I'm definitely a, a Fallout hoarder. Yeah, it's... I felt like, you know, I played around with different carry weights and what I found is that if I lowered the carry weights just a little bit or even like by half, um, it wasn't really producing the gameplay effect, which is to make people really think carefully about what they're taking with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I got it down to the Jay Sawyer level, which is pretty low, like it's, it's, it's way lower than any of the other fallouts, mm-hmm. um, then it really, the gameplay effect is that I think very carefully about the stuff that I take with me. Um, and I try to keep very lean on, on the gear that I carry around. Um, so that was really the goal with that. What would your typical loadout be with that low of a carry weight? A rifle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I usually wore, I usually wore like lighter medium armor. Um, I made some balance changes to light medium armor. So they, you know, the, they're, they were a little more competitive based on what you were trying to do. Um, but yeah, I'd use like lighter medium armor and then, uh, a not too heavy rifle of some sort, and then maybe, maybe some dynamite or things like that. But um, yeah, I tried to keep it pretty pretty lean. And then when scavenging, I would look very carefully at the sort of value to weight ratio on things. Um, I did rebalance a lot of the weights because once the weight limit went way down, you look at a pack of bubble gum and it weighs like half a pound. You're like, no, <laughs> a pack of bubble gum does not weigh half a pound. Um, so I did tune a lot of the, the weights of the small things, um, for that. I don't know why I haven't checked that out yet. I have to check that mod out. You definitely should. You would enjoy it. Um, so for our listeners, how can they get the Jay Sawyer mod? Um, I think if you, geez, I don't remember the exact address, but it's hosted on my website. Um, if you just do a search for Jay Sawyer fallout, um, you'll probably be linked to one of the wikis and you can just download it from a link on those sites. But um, yeah, I, I know that some people have taken my mod and then incorporated fixes to make it work with other mods and everything, which is fine. But if you just want my mod, um, it's just on my site. So Diogenes, diogeneslamp.info is my site. 
So that's if you see it, if you see the link going there, that's that's the actual mod itself. Cool. All right. Uh, do you have do you have other stuff, Shalene? I know you have your own notes too. Um, I think that's covers most of. You covered a lot of what I had in my notes too. Uh, oh. What are you working on now? Um. Well, now I'm working on Project Louisiana. <laughs> um, uh, I don't. I don't know if I can really say specifically what I'm working on, but um, I was working on fall, on Pillars of Eternity 1. <laughs> so now I'm working on Project Louisiana. Um, and that's been going on since we shipped the White March Part 2, which is the second part of the expansion to Pillars of Eternity. And um, it's going pretty well. Hopefully we're going to be able to show some stuff from Project Louisiana soon. Um, I'm also the design director for Obsidian now. So I do a lot of work just kind of looking at what other projects Obsidian is working on. Um, from Tyranny, which is coming up soon. Also Armored Warfare, which is the tank game we've been working on for a while. Um, even giving feedback on the Pathfinder uh, mobile game and stuff like that. Okay. Is, is that a code name, Project Louisiana? Or? Yeah, so at, um, <laughs> yeah, at Black Isle, we had... Um, at Black Isle, we had code names for we had, we use presidential code names in the order that uh, president and the order that they became presidents so that's why we had uh, project jefferson project van buren things like that at obsidian we use the names of states as they entered the union so uh, yep project louisiana that's cool i was gonna say i i it's hard pressed to figure out something that would be set in louisiana really <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's really confused about that um, um there was one other thing uh, that we were going to ask. Have you played much Fallout 4, and what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I played a bunch of it. Um, the uh, I think the render improvements are really noticeable. Um, I mean, that, there was a big graphical leap in quality. That was something that we got dinged on a lot for Fallout New Vegas because we were just using Fallout 3's renderer. Um, I, think that, I think that the weapon like modification system is a very cool basis for doing a lot of stuff. Um, I haven't looked a lot at the mods that people have made for it, but um, I would imagine that ju just based on how I see it in the front end, I imagine that it's very, very flexible and that people can do crazy, crazy stuff with it, which is very, very neat. Um, I think that world was a pretty, pretty cool one to explore. Um, I think, you know, Bethesda does exploration very well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I wouldn't say like I'm an expert on Fallout 4 or anything, but, uh, yeah, I played a fair amount of it. Yeah, the, uh, I'm not familiar with Boston, never been up there, but it was a lot of fun to explore. Again, I did miss, they finally did add survival mode in there, but that was one of the things I did miss because New Yeah, Vegas, I haven't had a chance to play survival mode yet, unfortunately. It, if, it's one of those things that if you have a lot of time, it's been, it, it's fun because you can't fast travel. And for me, I work a full-time job, have this show, and I'm a I'm dad. So not being able to fast travel and save on a regular interval, interval is uh, kind of hard to do when it's you have like an hour to play. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's cool, though, to try stuff like that because, oh, yeah. um, you know, I think modes like that that really fundamentally change how the game is played are can be really interesting. Obviously, you know, if it's an, if it's an optional thing, like people don't have to play it, but I think it's cool for people that want, you know, that, that level of challenge to give them a mode to play it in like that. Oh yeah. I, I definitely did a whole playthrough on, on survival just to do it. And, uh, 
because all I played New Vegas on was hardcore, and everyone knows that I lost every single companion I ever had. <laughs> Not very good at keeping them. R.I.P. Rick's companions. Pretty much, yeah. Um, but uh, all right. Uh, now, I know a lot of people. We we got a lot of questions of if if Obsidian was ever making another Fallout, and we we kind of know that answer. But if you yourself were to make your own little Fallout world, your own little Fallout, what would you do? Like, where would you put it? Kind of thing. Would it be ISO? Um. I don't know. I mean, like, if I were to make another sort of, um, you know, first-person style uh, game, I think that, you know, a lot of us had talked about um, New Orleans being a very cool place to see the game um, or to see, you know, because we haven't really done much in the middle of the country. Uh, Fallout Tactics was in the Chicago area. Uh, I wouldn't mind going back to the the Midwest because I'm pretty familiar with Chicago and the areas around it. Um and yeah, I, I think a tactic style game would be very cool, um, like an ISO style tactics game, like a turn-based game. Um, and I do think, I think it's cool that Bethesda made Fallout Shelter because I think that, you know, the fall, Fallout as a, as a franchise can be a lot of different things. And um, I would hope that someday, you know, we can see uh, ISO Fallout games in some form again. I think that would be really cool. And I am glad, for example, that, you know, we have the Fallout Resurrection mod um, so that people who like that style of gameplay have something to to play with that's new. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, we had. Were you going to say something, Julian? I was going to say, shall we get to our listener questions? That's what I was just going to go right into. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Take it away. So the first one comes from DeAndre Eason. I apologize if I've mispronounced your name. <laughs> hey, Josh. I'm going to tell you right now and say that Fallout New Vegas was my first RPG game ever to be played, and got me hooked on games like The Elder Scrolls, Mass Effect, and The Witcher. I was kind of wondering whether Obsidian was going to get back on board with a new Fallout spinoff, because as good as Fallout 4 was, it lacked the satisfying feeling once you beat the game or made choices that seemed to differ from the main storyline. Uh, I think Fergus, has, uh, Fergus Urquhart is, our, is the CEO of Obsidian, and I think he's you know answered this a few times, that there are plenty of people here that would love to work on Fallout again. Um, you know, Obsidian has a number of projects that's working on at any given point in time. And uh, if we get the opportunity to work on it again, I think we would love to do so. Great. Um, this one comes from Dustin. Hey, guys. First-time listener, long-time emailer. Love the show. There is one burning question on everyone's mind. Why, Mr. Sawyer, was Area 51 not in New Vegas? <laughs> so uh, the reason why Area 51 wasn't in New Vegas is because, for us, uh, aliens stuff fell into what we consider kind of wild wasteland territory. Um, that's debatable because there's also like Mothership Zeta was like a full expansion that Bethesda made, but um, but it also was a DLC, not part of the main game. So Area 51 as a full-fledged area, um, it seemed like that only was appropriate for wild wasteland and we didn't really want to devote resources to something that was... Um, like only going to be seen by people that were in that mode. So, you know, we talked about it back and forth for a while, but it, it, it just didn't seem like it fit with the, the base New Vegas world. I At least not, I think, I think we could have had Area 51, but if it had aliens in it, which I think everyone expected that, that was where the problem was. I want someone, one of our listeners, to go make a mod of Area 51 in New Vegas and just have the, a moon landing movie set. set <laughs> <up there. laughs> That's pretty funny, Rick. (laughs) So we have a couple of questions from Joseph. 
Based on your history of projects that you've worked on, you stay primarily slash entirely within the RPG genre. What about RPGs are so compelling to you that you keep going back to them? Is it the worlds you build, creating the playground for the player? Have you considered joining another project that fell into a different genre of game? Um, I've always enjoyed role-playing games, uh, going back to playing basic Dungeons and Dragons in fifth grade. So I've been playing tabletop RPGs for about 30 years now. Um, and the first, the first, uh, CRPG that I played was the Bard's Tale. And that was, that was one of the reasons why when I went to work for Interplay, I couldn't believe it because, you know, the Interplay made Bard's Tale 1. Brian Fargo is the CEO. This is incredible. I can't believe it. So I've always really had a love for role-playing games. Um, you know, I played Ultimas, uh, the, almost all the gold box games, the, the early SSI Dungeons and Dragons games. Um, and so I've just always loved that genre. I really like being able to make different types of characters and um, in a tabletop setting and now more and more in a CRPG setting, I like being able to not just make my character mechanically, but also make a character that has a certain personality that I can project into the world where I can decide how a story uh, develops. So, you know, giving me the ability to um, take sides in a story and, you know, favor one group or another or play them off of each other or choose an independent path. All those things are things that I learned both as a tabletop player and as a dungeon master. And, you know, I think people that have been dungeon masters or game masters for a long time start to recognize that their players, you know, they don't like it when you put them on rails. They really want to be able to flip tables over and punch people in the face like major NPCs. And, um, and that's, that's, if the DM doesn't let you do that, it feels frustrating and, and not fun. Um, but if they let you do that and then suffer the consequences of it, then it's really enjoyable. And that's one of the reasons why, for example, on Fallout New Vegas, I established a rule that said you could kill anyone in the world other than kids, but you can kill everyone else in the world. So even Yes Man, you can kill. He will come back, but you can kill him. So no one is invulnerable. But it goes back to that. It goes back to that feeling as a, as a player in a tabletop game. If I want to haul off and slug someone, um, I don't want the DM to just say you can't do that. So um, it's it's the freedom to sort of explore and see the world react to your changes that is really appealing to RPGs for me. Um, there are other genres that I'm interested in. Like I do like team-based um, objective shooters um, going all the way back to like Wolfenstein Enemy Territory, um, you know, the Battlefield games, uh, Brink. Brink. Um, I've been playing Overwatch a lot recently. And so I do enjoy that genre of game. Um, I also dabble in RTSs every once in a while. But um, it was actually interesting. So when Black Isle was kind of collapsing, uh, I applied to work at Ensemble, who made Age of Empires. And I really love the Age of Empires games um, because I'm really into history. And I went through the whole interview process. And at the end of it, they said, we think you should make RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, yeah, you seem to really, really want to make RPGs. You should probably just keep doing that. So oh, That's fantastic. That's, that's, that's a good form of rejection, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I did want to ask, uh, are you familiar with Strong Bad at all? Yeah. Did you ever play his text adventure game? I didn't. <laughs> when you said, uh, you know, like if yeah, the DM said you can't do that, there's this text adventure game, and in the description it said something like, there's a flask on the table, and you say, get flask, and then it always responds, you can't get ye flask. And it's just like, why can I? <laughs> I cannot do this. Like, it just won't <laughs> let me do it. <laughs> so it just reminded me of that brick wall DM kind of thing. <laughs> Yep. 
And we have a I'd few more. I'd just like I to think. shout out to Obsidian in the chat room. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so this question comes from Rebecca. I have lived in Vegas for 12 years now. I played New Vegas and would drive through town and swear a certain house or neighborhood was in the game. It was kind of <laughs> weird and awesome at the same time. How long do you spend researching a location? How do you do recon missions to Vegas? How do you decide which areas to use? So we did we did a lot of research. Um, I did research. We uh, John Gonzalez, who is our creative lead, he did a lot of research, especially on uh, 50s and 60s Las Vegas. And our art director, Joe Sanabria, did uh, an enormous amount of research on the architecture of that era specific to Las Vegas, um, Usonian homes, which were very, very common and are still common in some parts of Las Vegas. Um, and so we, you know, we really didn't want to capture the architectural feeling, which is very distinctive in Vegas. It does change a lot, which is crazy. Um, if you look at Vegas over time, it continually is reinventing itself, but there are certain elements that sort of remain over time. Um, I also did a motorcycle tour around the Mojave desert, um, taking pictures of various things, uh, I mean, I actually went to Good Springs and took photos of the, I mean, the, 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 the Pioneer Saloon is, um, you know, it's, it's, well, so the, I can't remember now which is real, the Pioneer or the Prospector, but it's a real place Pioneer. and it's laid out almost exactly in the real world like it is in our game. Um, there's also a general store right next to it. There's a schoolhouse there that's, um, you know, so we, we did try to get the feeling of these places right. Um, also include certain details like Prim has the roller coaster and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so obviously we're not, nothing is to scale. Everything is sort of compressed. The desert is huge. You do not want to actually walk across the desert. It's a little <laughs> too big. Um, but we did, a, uh, we did quite a bit of research to not only get the sort of, um, the feel of things right, but also the look of, um, certain buildings and key key features that are uh that really evoke classic vegas yeah I, I did notice the wall around vegas which is compiled full of neon and well maybe not mm -hmm. neon but signs, signs. and marquees <laughs> that were from that era yep uh, our next question came from leon on our facebook page if you could would you rather do another kotor sequel or another fallout oh personally i'd rather do a fallout sequel i mean I like Star Wars, but I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm a much bigger Fallout fan than I am a Star Wars fan. Cool. Our next question comes from Vendertron. He writes, <laughs> Hi, Josh. Vendertron here. New Vegas was a great game, and I'm glad to have been a part of it. My question for you is, while we were filming on set with the Gunrunners... I would like to know whose idea it was to build me into a box with an arsenal of weapons for all eternity. My money's on the Archbishop of Babies, Mikey. He always wanted more light, less light, probably the reason I ended up in that box in the first place. Anyways, good to hear you are doing well. See you around, <laughs> Vendertron. I, I gotta say one thing real quick, that Vendertron is a regular listener who's actually a moderator for our chat room. <laughs> so, he's always in character, so yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, Vendertron putting him in a box was um I think my idea because we we realized that due to various I don't know if it wound up this way in the game but for a while various patrols could very easily easily come across the Vendertron and we didn't want to um we didn't want to have him on an interior. So the only way we could uh see for him to kind of be outside but not be um 
not get screwed with too much by wandering NPCs and combatants was to uh, put him in a box. <laughs> yeah, and so then we came up with the story that he was he was put in there, and then the you know the building was built around him, <laughs> and uh, and they just they just sort of like shove weapons up through a hole in the floor or something. I love it. I, there is like a trapdoor modeled on the yep. floor, I think, and I tried so hard at first to find how to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> it took me so long to realize. You just can't enter it. So, uh, console TCL. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Tim Toronto asks, uh, what was the most stressful part about making Fallout New Vegas? Um, other than the time, which was pretty stressful, uh, it was, you know, making sure that we, you know, captured the spirit of the Fallout setting because a lot of us had wanted to make a Fallout game for so long and, this was our only chance to do it. And so um, I know I was personally very concerned about making sure that we felt like we expanded the Fallout universe, but were true to the games that had come before it. Um, you know, because we know that, you know, fan, a lot of, there are a lot of people out there that really love the Fallout setting. And so we wanted to be true to it. Um, so the changes that we made, we had to be very careful with because we didn't want to make it not feel like Fallout anymore. Um, and we also wanted to do right by the sort of inspiration that came before us, like, you know, making sure that the NCR felt like the NCR and, um, you know, just that we got the vibes of all those things right. That's great. Muska from chat asks, what did you study in college and how did you break into the industry? Um, when I first went to college, I went for music. I went to the Lawrence Conservatory of Music as a vocal performance major. Uh, that is not what I graduated with, though. <laughs> Um, I eventually got a degree from Lawrence College in history and a minor in theater. I did not use those immediately. <laughs> I uh, taught myself web design in college, and how I got into the industry was uh, Black Isle advertised for a webmaster on an unannounced project, and I applied. I wrote a cover letter that in retrospect was insane because it was three pages long, talking <laughs> about where I thought... RPGs are going to go. I mean, I, this is for a webmaster position. I don't know why I thought it was necessary for me to tell them where I thought CRPG should go. Um, but uh, yeah, I got hired in part because I had flash experience. I knew how to do um, flash animation. And so I became the webmaster for Planescape Torment. And that was how I got into the industry. And after about nine months or so, I convinced Fergus to let me come on to Icewind Dale as a junior designer. Um, so that's a very unusual way to like get into the industry. Um, when I got into the industry, which is 1999, there were not, there really weren't game development schools, or if there were, they were not very well known or well established. But now there are a lot of places where you can um, actually go to school for game development. Some are better than others. So read around and, and talk to people that have actually gone to these schools if you're interested in that stuff. I always recommend to people to make mods. Fallout, all, all, you know, Fallout 3, New Vegas, and 4 are all great platforms for modding, and uh, people make amazing, amazing stuff with them. So I would encourage people, if you're into Fallout and you want to be a developer, look into modding uh, Fallout stuff, because it's it's one of the easiest platforms to mod, mod on, which is great, um, and you can learn a lot. And, and you can also show off some really cool stuff with what you do. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I just lucked out. My whole life is just luck leading to this point, really. That's great. So you have a high luck stat then. Yes. <laughs> Good to know. That's all of our listener questions. I uh, I did want to say um, you do a lot of interviews. 
So are, is there anything that you wish these people would ask you that you just keep not getting asked? <laughs> no, I think people ask everything. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I think people can always, if you, if you look up J.E. Sawyer Tumblr, you can, people can always ask me questions there. I don't answer everything that I get asked because I get asked a lot of stuff, but I try to answer a lot of stuff. Um, so, yeah. And, and alongside Tumblr, where actually, no, I'm sorry, before we even get into that, um, Extra Life. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Obsidian is doing fundraising for uh, basically an Extra Life marathon stream. And we're trying to hit a goal of $4,000 before November 4th. Um, if we hit that goal, then I will play Fallout New Vegas during the marathon stream on the weekend of November 11th. And that's 24 hours straight, right? Is that what you're going um, to do? I don't know if that's the guarantee, but I will be playing <laughs> <laughs> I will be playing it on the stream. Cool. Awesome. All right. And where can people go to donate? What's that? You asked for fundraising. Oh, oh yeah. That would be helpful. Um, you can go to <laughs> obsidian.net slash donate. Cool. Awesome. I'll try to add a little tag for that in our description below when this goes up. And, uh, yeah, where else can people find out? Um, if they want to connect with you in a different way or find out more about what Obsidian's doing. Um, um, if you want to, if you want to, uh, ask me stuff, you can go look at my Tumblr. Also, you can ask me questions on Twitter. Um, I'm J.E. Sawyer on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, and I think, is it just at Obsidian on Twitter? I think so. And our website is obsidian.net. Awesome. Well, great. Um, yeah, that's, that's everything we have. Thank you so much for joining us. We have to get into news and stuff and we don't want to keep you longer. We, we said a half an hour. We almost did an, an hour. hour later. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. I know that thanks for having me. We love New Vegas, and uh, thank you for for coming to chat with us. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So yeah. Um, what? Okay. Uh, what do you? What, go ahead, Rick. No, I just was wondering. So we're going to go ahead and get to, I guess, news then. Right. Um, at some point, and I do want to make sure that are we still in the multi chat? Actually. Multi-call? Mm, let me just check. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. we Yeah, we're just really thankful to Josh coming out tonight and hanging out with us. Oh, man. This is like the second second week in a row we've had a really awesome guest on in the Fallout oh. universe. And, yeah, it was a great one. Great one. Um, anyway, so we're going to go ahead and get to news, I believe. And we have some, man, some shelter here. news, weirdly enough. If you like news, you're going to love our So, I am so not used to not having the controls. I know, I know. Ah, uh, feels weird. I don't it know does. what to do with my hands it really now. really does. Um, so, that was uh, news, <laughs> oh, news really? for this week. That was a really bad transition. It was. That was so <laughs> awkward. So awkward. Uh, but, um, that was lovely. That was really cool that we got to have Josh on the show. We really appreciate it. But the news... Um, we have some Fallout Shelter news. In a QuakeCon interview with GameSpot, Pete Hines revealed that Fallout Shelter was entirely the brainchild of Todd Howard. And they said that the fact that it was Todd's idea gave it more weight because it's, you know, it's kind of an unusual idea. You know, we're in the middle of, of working on Fallout 4. Let's like a, do a okay. mobile game. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting. They said that Howard plays a lot of mobile games and he had really particular ideas about what he wanted the game to be. 
and he lead designed Fallout Shelter at the same time that he was leading the Fallout 4 team as well. Uh, cool. Uh, sorry. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I still don't play Shelter. Yeah, I'm still playing it on and off. It's quite good. Um, there was an update for the creation kit, update 1.7, for all you modders out there. It addresses some memory leaks, including releasing memory when a plugin is unloaded, fixes instability related to Wacom tablet installation and drivers, and it includes the LipFuser tool, which processes lip and voice files to play properly in the game. It includes loose scripts and some Ford Vault Tech Workshop pack. So if you're a modder, there's some, some new things for you to work with. And it was a light news week. So this one's, it's not really a, a news item that you're going to see on the internet, but I thought it was definitely worth bringing up. Totally notable. One of our listeners, Michael, um, he hit the level cap. And uh, yeah. one of the big stories was that um, there was no level cap with Fallout 4. But we can, we can now confirm that that's not so because um, Michael has hit the level cap with level 272. Um, now when he levels up, nothing happens. Well, um, I was going to say, does the number of levels keep going up? Um, let's read through here. Yeah, if he does number... continue to level up, but nothing happens. So technically, it's not a level cap. It's just he's run out of things to put stuff on. Sort of a soft cap, I guess. A soft cap. More like a beanie, perhaps. <laughs> well, he has hit the level beanie. And uh, congratulations to him. That's really a, a pretty tremendous, tremendous achievement. Yes. <laughs> I really thought that you would be able to continue leveling up your specials, but he says you can't do that. Hmm. And uh, so we'll see if they add more perks with the DLC. They have added perks with previous DLCs. Yeah, I I don't have this feeling uh, of that at all. And actually, speaking of the Nuka World DLC, um, lack of release date is surprising. Right. I agree. I was thinking the same thing earlier. It's time for us to be starting a beta if, uh, if Nuka World's going to come out in August. How are we supposed to master the beta if we don't have a beta to master? You went there, huh? The low-hanging eh. fruit with you, Rick. The low-hanging fruit. Try. I try. I don't have much today. That's funny. <laughs> that was all. That was all I had to give. Okay. <laughs> but so. back, to, um, back to Michael and his character, Jennifer. I just wanted to share a few of his stats. 1,678 hours of playtime, 415 locations discovered, 3,425 days passed. I can't even read this large of a number of the caps that he's found. What is that? 2,278,000? I can't, I can't count this high. 103 magazines found, 1,450 stim packs, 79 Rad X, and 311 Rad Away taken, 12 Kims taken. Only once when he met Swan. And uh, 1,500 quests completed. He's killed over 18,000 people. 1,730 animals. 11,000 creatures. Almost 1,500 robots. Over 3,000 synths. It's just crazy. Just crazy. And uh, 
He says, after over nine years of loyal services, Jennifer now thinks of retiring in her orphanage on Spectacle Island and taking care of the 12 children she's adopted, her two cats and two dogs. She may answer emergency calls, though. Nice. Something that was really interesting in his post on our Facebook page um, that I thought was that he said it didn't seem very grindy when he was doing it. You know, he just naturally played the game. He didn't just, you know, grind endlessly to get here. <laughs> That's good to know. I mean, Fallout definitely doesn't feel grindy at all, it, mm -hmm. it, which is weird because other ones have. This one definitely hasn't. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Is that it? Is that it for it. the news? That's it for the news. Awesome. So I guess that leads into the gameplay, right? Right. And uh, tell us all about your gameplay this week. So tell us all about your gameplay this week, Shaleen, because that was mine. <laughs> that was fascinating. I, I have been... I Okay, so Bethesda had their sale. I purchased uh, Wolfenstein, The New Order, and also Old Blood, and that's what I've been doing all week. Mm -hmm. I beat Wolfenstein New Order last weekend, and I've been piecing apart uh, um, the Old Blood this week. And thoroughly loving, thoroughly loving those new Wolfenstein games. So if you haven't had a chance to play them, play them. They're a lot of fun for a uh, kill fest. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Also, tonight, I still won't be playing any Fallout, even though I really want to go play New Vegas now. I still won't be playing any Fallout because I have No Man's Sky that is just dying for me to boot it up. So that's what I'm going to be doing right after this. That's great. Nope. Um... Well, I actually haven't had a chance to talk about my experience with vault -Tec Workshop yet. So I thought I would talk about that a little bit today. Please do. Um, I thought that I lost all of my Fallout saves, Rick. What? A couple of weeks ago, I booted up Fallout on my Xbox because my Xbox character is my main character. And uh, there, was, there was no load option. It was grayed out like it was a, a brand new game that I had just gotten. And let me tell you, Rick, I about had a heart attack with this one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah, no. But I did a, uh, a hard reset of the whole console and uh, they came back. So thank heavens for that. I would have been really sad to lose all of all of the work I've done with the with my Fallout character on my Xbox. Yeah. And um, I, I really like the quarry area for Vault Tech that you start off in. There are a lot of quarriers. A lot of quarriers. A lot of quarries. There are a lot of quarries in Fallout 4. But this one kind of feels like a unique space. I like it. And I liked the ghoul raiders. And I, I don't know. the uh, This DLC, I would be like actually not that disappointed if they delayed Nuke World a little bit to be honest, huh. because I feel like the release of these DLCs has been totally relentless. Just, um, it's yeah. almost too much for me. You know, it's, it's, uh, coming so regularly that I, when I started playing vault tech, I was playing it not really out of excitement as much as obligation. You know, I felt like I have to play this to see how it goes. Um, so I, I, these workshops, man, you know, that's a lot of people love the building. I, I'm not one of the people that wants to spend all my time building. And uh, I, I have been trying to stay real positive, though, uh, about this one. And I, I am enjoying the little quests. I didn't have any of my stuff when I got here because I was building the Museum of Shaleen at Diamond City. 
and I left all of my stuff in the chest there. So I didn't have any, any rad supplies, no rad suit, no weapons. So that was a pretty fun experience getting in there. I was just wearing like a, a little uh, non-ballistic weaved outfit. That was not good. I, I do think that Vault 88 feels pretty legit. You know, it doesn't feel like, um, it feels like part of the universe, like a thing that could have happened. You know, it, it doesn't seem tacked on or uh, like sort of just a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't feel like a, like a construct, you know. It's not shoehorned in. Exactly. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Thank you, Rick. It feels like part of, of the living world. Yeah. And I, I do like that they're storing the Pip-Boys in the, the Pip-Boy cases that our, that our Pip-Boy editions came in. I really like that. I really do. That absolutely made my day. Uh, I appreciated the Dr. Braun callback for Dr. Dr. Braun of Vault-Tec. Overseer Barstow is cold, man. That lady. Yeah. She's so cold. What I'm referencing I, in particular, this is sort of a, a spoiler of the first 20 minutes of, of Vault-Tec Workshop. It's, it's not. This does not count as spoilers know, because this is not even a quest out. line. It's like out. a build this stuff. But basically, Barstow is in this vault. She's been in there for months with this construction crew. And sure, they're feral, but they haven't been bothering her. And she has been. She knew them before they were feral. She knew them before they were ghoulified. She's been living there for hundreds of years with her. And she's like, I suppose you'd better put them down. Like, no emotion. No regret. Really, Barstow, you know, that's so cold. But I did have a fantastic moment when I was clearing the tunnels of, mm. of Vault 88. I was fighting some Mirelurks, and I won, and it was no big deal. And I ate some wolf ribs to heal up, because I, I primarily use food for healing. And wolf ribs have the, the effect of night vision, bestowing some night vision on you, sort of like Cat's Eye from New Vegas. Or yeah. Jug. Yeah, Cat's Eye. And uh, quartz, new Coca-Cola quartz, is that what I was thinking of from New Vegas? Because there was uh, a New Vegas thing that gave you... Yeah, I think it was quartz. I'm all confused now. But I, I ate some wolf ribs, and they gave me night vision, and I see this Meyer Alert queen just gliding out of the distance at me. <laughs> it, it, like a giant unwelcome ghost. It was just uh. one of the best moments I've had playing Fallout 4 to be perfectly honest. It was so great. So I was just, I thought I had one and I was like, okay, you know, let me just heal up and then I'll, I'll go build stuff or whatever. And uh, this is Smile Alert Queen. <laughs> I loved it. It was so funny. Jasper, the unfriendly ghost. But that's really all that I have to talk about for this week. I have been uh, re-watching Ruby. Um, so <laughs> that's taken a lot of my time and also playing a lot of Uncharted. You know, I, uh, I've really tried playing that DLC and I just couldn't. I I just kind of got through the little quest line and started building stuff and I just threw my head back. I was like, I don't want to build anymore. Like, <laughs> stop, Bethesda. I love Clem so much, though. I, wanna... I love Clem. I wish you could name these guys because I would put his last name as mm -hmm. Kadiddle Hopper. And if anyone gets that reference, thank you. You've made my night. Um, I do. Love I guess Clem. you don't best. get that. I don't get it, but Clem is the best. I, I just want Clem to be my companion and come home with me, and just I love him. He's the best. I want to take him everywhere and see his enthusiasm infect the world. Be great. 
Um, so yeah, uh, sorry for the gameplay this week. It's just wrapped up in other games. What can we do? What can we do? It's been uh, it's been a very busy week. So uh, yeah, it has been. So but. We've been asked a few times in the chat room already tonight. Thank you very much for reminding us for something we were going to do already. We have a recap of the challenge. Great. So do you want to tell us what last week's challenge was? Last week's challenge was to... I'm missing the thing. Walt, your Vault Tech... Yeah, Vault Tech. Your Vault Tech workshop builds. Uh, your Vault Tech workshop builds. And send us pictures of that. And we got a few entries. Right. Um, so do you want to start the slideshow? Okay. And I don't know who's this one. This one is Vendertrons. It is handily watermarked down in the oh, corner. Oh, I, I see it. I really like his surgery area. You can see here. It's very that's, nice. That's right. I remember seeing this as a really well-built vault as far as things look like they went together. I know I had such trouble trying to snap stuff together with us. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, I really didn't really deal with trying to figure it all out. This uh, one. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I definitely know who this one is. <laughs> yeah. Because it's also handily watermarked Grumpy Gaz. And he's done a lot of work on this. You can see the precision of, of the uh, the pool table here and stuff. It's very nice. That's true. I, I definitely have all the pool balls, but they are definitely not in a nice little neat order. They're just kind of schlung around the tabletop. Thing. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. Uh, this one's Michael's. <laughs> He's worked on the diner cafeteria area, and his people are all really happy in there. Let's say it's a regular old Vault 111. Uh, it looks so cheery. And this one's Gerfuffles. You can you can notice his Enclave symbol back <laughs> Gerfuffle and his Enclave, man. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> yeah, he sent us some great... Great awesome. pictures for the entry. Thank you, everybody who sent uh, sent in. Bree sent in a video, but I couldn't get a decent screenshot of it because uh, my, my iPad was being dumb. But I did want to give her a little shout-out. Thanks for submitting. Cool. And, yeah, is that all of them? That's all of them. Cool. We do have a new challenge for you guys next week, and we had a few of you talk about if we could have a challenge that wasn't uh, set within some of the DLCs that might not might. Everyone might not have. So we have one for you this week that doesn't involve DLC. Actually, it can be done in any Fallout game, except for maybe one or two. But pickpocket a person's clothes that they're wearing. So just steal them all off and uh, send us a screenshot of, of you and your victim. Standing and side by side. Oh, and the audible is no stealth boys uh, or girls. So, yeah, this is completely vanilla, if you will. Just relying straight on skill and luck. So yeah, that's next week. You can use, you can you can use hashtag FOTR challenge and send us your pictures that way. Uh, we don't have any updates on the pit board this week, so if you play a game on the pit boy in Fallout 4 and you think you got a high score, send it to us with a screenshot of uh, with hashtag pitboard. And yeah, superb. Awesome. Well, we don't have any listener mail because all of our listener mail was questions for Josh. So. Awesome. So do we have any closing remarks? Uh, I was on an episode of the Fallout feed, um, and that's out now. It's it's available on iTunes, so you can check that out. I had a great time with those guys. They're very cool guys and girls. Uh, one of their hosts is a, is a lady. And I did want to give a shout-out to some of the Fallout Off the Record community streams that the listeners have been doing. Many of our community members have been streaming and hanging out in each other's chat rooms 
uh, Vendertron, Joseph, uh, I think Jess. Um, so a lot of people are, are doing streams. And you guys can check those out. You can follow them on Twitter and uh, and see what they're doing. It's sort of like uh, the chat room after party. Yeah, definitely. Also, oh, I did um, want to... Oh, said his email. Um, I did have his email. I'm sorry, I forgot to read it. It was funny. Oh. We should read well, the... Read, read it went along with the challenge. I'm sorry. It went along with the challenge, with his challenge entry. Dear Fallout Off the Record staff, congratulations. We here at Vault Tech are proud to inform you because of your contribution to the preparation of citizens of our country for survival in a post-nuclear world, you've been selected for entry into Vault 88. Should the unlikely event of nuclear war occur, you will be safe in knowing that you are protected from the dangers of the wasteland within one of our state-of-the-art vaults. Vault 88 has all the amenities of modern home, assuring that you will feel comfortable and content with your new life underground. Congratulations on being prepared for the futures. Stanislaw Braun, PhD, CEO of Vault Tech. Disclaimer, Vault Tech is not responsible for any loss of life, limb, property, should you choose to venture above ground. Do not read. Vault 88 has been selected as part of the Vault Tech social experimentation. Each residential room in Vault 88 is equipped with a high-frequency emitter. Vault 88's experiment is to test the psychological and social effects of being subjected to high-frequency sound waves for 12 hours every day. Or you could just listen to our podcast and get a high-frequency electrical <laughs> Man, maybe we are, like, secretly vault tech. <laughs> and we don't even know it. Yeah, I think, I think that the, uh, the many uh, travails that have befallen our podcast have been vault It's vault tech trying to shut us down. Yeah. We're like Raider Radio, you know? Oh, that would have been a great podcast name. Yeah, it would have been. It really yeah. would have been. Darn us Back sticking we with branding. To name the name the podcast. We should have <laughs> thought of that. So, but yeah, um, is there anything else you want to add on top of that? That's all I had. Cool. And also, I do want to make mention again of Josh Sawyer and Obsidian's Extra Life stream that they're going to be doing in November and their fundraising for that. Please go check out Extra Life if you haven't. Maybe even start your own fundraiser. Basically, for those of you who don't know what it is, it raises money for Children's Miracle Network by instead of... Because most of us gamers don't really like to run. I know I don't. So what they do is they fundraise for a stream marathon that you do. And most of them are actually 24-hour long streams um, that most people do. I usually do. I mean, I sorry, not usually. We will be... We are actually planning on doing something, I think, this year. Um, we were trying to do it last year, but basically you just stream for 24 hours or something like that. And people make parties out of it, but all the money gets donated to, uh, children's, children's miracle network and you donate it to your local CMN hospital. So it's really awesome. So please check out extra life. And also if you can give financially to obsidians, extra life fundraiser so that, you know, they reach their goal and stuff. And that's, that's pretty awesome. So I will have links in the show notes once this goes up on YouTube to that and as well as on our main website. So yeah, beyond that, you can tweet at the show, Fallout OTR. You can tweet at me, at Rick McVick, and you can tweet at Shaleen, at Shaleen L. And also we want to throw in there, you can tweet at uh, Josh Sawyer at J-E-S-A-W-Y-E-R. So J-E Sawyer, all on Twitter. You can check, check us out on facebook.com slash Fallout OTR and sign up for notifications there because Fallout, <laughs> Fallout, because Facebook sucks at getting our content to your timelines. You can also check out our Facebook group by searching for Fallout OTR or heading to facebook.com slash groups slash Fallout OTR. 
You can email us at falloutotr at gmail.com and like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash questgamingnetwork. And you can find our show on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave us a review. Um, thank you. F- What's this note here? Am I supposed to read this? Yes. This is new. So thanks for the ratings. Those really help. Uh, but we can't say the names of people who have rated, so leave a text review. Yes, that's right. Sorry, I see what you're saying now. Leaving just a five-star review definitely helps, but we can't shout you out because we don't see those names. So if you leave us a text review and a five-star, we'll shout you out that way because that way we can see your name. And we have a few five-star reviewer shout-outs today. Uh, Anna Anubis, who is Anonymous Anubis in our chat room, um, Lucy Rollins from the UK, and The Jams from UK. Thank you so much for leaving us five-star reviews. They mean so much. We are constantly in the top 100, if not the top 50, on iTunes video games standing. So Blows that's amazing mind. that we're Thank still there. Thank you guys so much for, for making that happen. Definitely. And uh, so, yeah, we record live on Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube.com slash Quest Gaming Network slash live. And you should check out the other great QGN shows on YouTube, which is KD Radio, which streams every other week. This week will not be a KD Radio. Uh, Elder Scrolls Off the Record, Classic Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls, Dragon Age Off the Record, QGD&D, which is our newer D&D-based show, and Dancing with Daggers, which comes on later this evening on YouTube. Thank you so, so much for listening and checking out the uh, live stream. We had a bunch of new people checking out Josh's interview. And, um, yeah, Shalene, last words. I actually had this one planned ahead of time, and it was a, a happy coincidence. They asked me how well I knew theoretical physics. I said, I have a theoretical degree in physics. They said, welcome aboard.